Section 5 of Captain Cook by Walter Besant. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 3 In the Royal Navy, Part 1. Between May 1755 and May 1759 is a period of four years. Cook became again an able seaman serving before the mast but he was to begin with a volunteer and he had been mate of a collier therefore he was not an ordinary pressed sailor as it is very well known that captain palliser took an active share in whatever was going on we may reasonably conclude that cook was also present in many of the actions of the time the war began as usual badly boscawen was sent out to intercept the french fleet and failed general braddock was defeated and slain on the other hand our cruisers and privateers almost annihilated the french trade in the west indies as many as eight thousand french prisoners with three hundred merchant ships were captured in those seas admiral holborn was sent out with a powerful fleet to cooperate with lord loudon in the reduction of canada but nothing was done in seventeen fifty eight the Pembroke took part in the taking of Louisbourg and the reduction of the whole island of Cape Breton. In this action, five French frigates were taken and five destroyed. The French islands of Guadeloupe, Descada, and Marie Galante were taken. In 1759, the Eagle returned to England, but Cook was no longer aboard. This is the brief record of those four years. What share Cook had in these actions does not appear but when fighting begins no one on board can avoid his share of the danger at least it is certain that from the outset cook could never have been confounded with the ordinary able seaman nothing is more clear than the profound ignorance and brutality of the common sailor of the eighteenth century he had no forethought he was childishly dependent on his superior officers he had it is true the common virtues of discipline obedience endurance and bulldog courage but that was all he drank as much as he could get he threw away his money he lived for the day when for instance the resolution sailed out of the arctic ocean we read that the sailors put off their warm clothes and began kicking them about decks as if they would never experience any more cold the officers to save the things collected them and laid them by in casks a man who understood the art of navigation could not remain a common sailor in the naval records of the time one reads once and once only of such a man he was on board sir cloudsley shovel's ship the association this wonderful person calculated the course of the ship he discovered that the officers were out in their reckoning he knew that they were dangerously near the silly rocks he said so they hanged him for mutiny and the next day the ship ran upon these rocks and behold they were all dead men what probably happened was this on the discovery that there was on board an able seaman a volunteer who understood the art of navigation the man would have been picked out and kept on deck engaged in navigating the ship he would have been told off to help in the duties of the master one solitary scrap of paper remains in cook's handwriting which belongs to this period it is cut out of a book it is dated wednesday november third seventeen fifty six 
and it contains certain calculations apparently in navigation it is perhaps a rough or draft log-book therefore a year after his volunteering cook was no longer a common sailor but doing the work of the master's branch was he promoted to the acting rank of master's mate he was really made master's mate two years after his enlistment and appointed to the pembroke on board which ship he took part in the reduction of Louisburg. he was not without some interest the then member for scarborough mr osbaldiston wrote a letter to captain palliser on cook's enlistment recommending the young man to his notice why should mr osbaldiston interfere in his behalf fountain wentworth osbaldiston was the fourth son of an osbaldiston of hunmanby near filey they were a very considerable family lords of havercroft there were five sons two of them successively members for scarborough one was bishop of london all died without issue it is a long journey from great ayton to hunmanby but we may fairly suppose that it was at the request of mr scoto that the letter was written however that may be in the year seventeen fifty nine cook was promoted to the rank of master and appointed to the grampus sloop may the tenth when it was found that the former master of the grampus had returned to his ship cook's appointment was transferred to the garland it was discovered that the garland had already sailed cook was then appointed to the mercury so far then this young man had done pretty well to rise from a collier's apprentice to be master not master's mate but full master on board a king's ship by the age of thirty must be considered creditable indeed no doubt at the time cook thought he had touched the highest point we may now consider how far advanced he was at this time in scientific attainment his practical seamanship recommended him for promotion what was it that recommended him for the services he was immediately to perform kippis tells the story in words which there is no need to alter the destination of the mercury was to north america where she joined the fleet under the command of sir charles saunders which in conjunction with the land forces under general wolfe was engaged in the famous siege of quebec during that siege a dangerous and difficult service was necessary to be performed this was to take the soundings in the channel of the river st lawrence between the island of orleans and the north shore directly in the front of the french fortified camp at montmorency and beauport in order to enable the admiral to place ships against the enemy's batteries and to cover our army in a general attack which the heroic wolf intended to make on the camp captain palliser in consequence of his acquaintance with mr cook's sagacity and resolution recommended him to the service and he performed it in the most complete manner in this business he was employed during the night-time for several nights together at length he was discovered by the enemy who collected a great number of indians and canoes in the wood near the waterside which were launched in the night for the purpose of surrounding him and cutting him off on this occasion he had a very narrow escape he was obliged to run for it and pushed on shore on the island of orleans near the guard of the english hospital some of the indians entered at the stern of the boat as mr cook leaped out at the bow and the boat which was a barge belonging to one of the ships of war was carried away in triumph 
however he furnished the admiral with as correct and complete a draft of the channel and soundings as could have been made after our countrymen were in possession of quebec sir hugh palliser has good reason to believe that before this time mr cook had scarcely ever used a pencil and that he knew nothing of drawing but such was his capacity that he speedily made himself master of every object to which he applied his attention another important service was performed by mr cook while the fleet continued in the river st lawrence the navigation of that river is exceedingly difficult and hazardous it was particularly so to the english who were then in a great measure strangers to this part of north america and who had no chart on the correctness of which they could depend it was therefore ordered by the admiral that mr cook should be employed to survey those parts of the river below quebec which navigators had experienced to be attended with peculiar difficulty and danger and he executed the business with the same diligence and skill of which he had already afforded so happy a specimen when he had finished the undertaking his chart of the river st lawrence was published with soundings and directions for sailing in that river of the accuracy and utility of this chart it is sufficient to say that it hath never since been found necessary to publish any other one which has appeared in france is only a copy of the author's on a reduced scale such were the services which he performed within a few weeks after his appointment as master it is clear that such work would never have been entrusted to a young man who possessed no other qualifications than the knowledge of handling a ship one does not generally step all at once from the rank of able seaman to the preparation of a most important chart and the examination of a difficult seaway nor were cook's previous services the only reason why he should be selected from all the officers of the fleet for the important duty special knowledge as well as special aptitude must have been understood these considerations prove that he already possessed special knowledge how he acquired it by whose assistance who lent him books how he found time or opportunity it is impossible to learn most of his knowledge must have been learned during the four years in the royal navy it must however be noted that there is no other case on record in which a sailor boy starting in the very lowest place with the humblest origin and the very smallest outfit of learning has so far succeeded as to be promoted at thirty to the rank of master in the king's navy and immediately afterwards to be selected for the performance of a piece of work requiring great technical knowledge and one would think considerable experience as for his personal appearance several portraits remain of him the best seems to be that by weber the artist of his third voyage every biography ought at this point when the keynote of the character is struck to establish clearly in the mind of the reader the true effigies of the man one is not interested in the personal appearance of james cook made of a collier but when james cook has become a master in the royal navy when the really important step in his career has been taken in the execution of special service by special appointment it is time that we should learn what manner of man he was to those who only looked upon him we know a man when we have seen him when we have spoken with him or heard him speak when we have read his books or his letters and when we know what he has done cook's voice is not often heard 
for the most part others speak for him and of him but his portrait remains he was to begin with over six feet high thin and spare his head was small his forehead was broad his hair was of a dark brown rolled back and tied behind in the fashion of the time his nose was long and straight his nostrils clear and finely cut his cheekbones were high a feature which illustrated his scotch descent his eyes were brown and small but well set quick and piercing his eyebrows were large and bushy his chin was round and full his mouth firmly set his face long it is an austere face but striking one thinks perhaps wrongly that without having been told whose face this is in the portrait we might know it as the face of a man remarkable for patience resolution perseverance and indomitable courage the portraits of navy worthies are sometimes disappointing the faces of some gallant admirals have even if one may respectfully use the word a fatuous expression no doubt the fault of the rascal painter that of james cook satisfies it is a face worthy of the navigator such was the appearance of the man tall thin grave even austere as for his personal habits he was as all agree of robust constitution inured to labour and capable of undergoing the severest hardships every northeasterly gale that buffeted the collier's boy in the german ocean every night spent in battling with the winter gales between newcastle and the port of london helped to build up his strength and endurance he was able to eat without difficulty the coarsest and the most ungrateful food on what luxuries are even the mates of a collier nourished great was the indifference with which he submitted to every kind of self-denial a man who felt no hardships who desired no better fare than was served out to his men who looked on rough weather as the chief part of life who was never sick and never tired where was there his like and a man who never rested he was always at work during his long and tedious voyages writes captain king after his death his eagerness and activity were never in the least degree abated no incidental temptation would detain him for a moment even those intervals of recreation which sometimes unavoidably occur and were looked for by us with a longing that persons who have experienced the fatigues of service will readily excuse were submitted to by him with a certain impatience whenever they could not be employed in making a further provision for the more effectual prosecution of his designs when we have read so far we are not surprised to hear that he was a man of hasty temper and liable to passion a man who was never tired never wanting to sit down and rest impatient of enforced leisure careless about luxuries incessantly at work how should he be anything but hasty and passionate when he found his plans obstructed by the weakness or laziness of men all that follows will illustrate the fidelity of this portrait the man commanded unbounded respect fear obedience and confidence from his crew what his private and intimate friends said and thought of him is unknown to us beneath the austere commander there was it is admitted by all a kindly and human heart we must look for proof to the journals of his voyages because of his private letters there survive only three or four addressed to his friend mr john walker of whitby his private life 
how he lived and talked at home and among his old friends and cronies is almost as much lost to us as the private life of shakespeare certainly he had some friends it is most likely that he had very few for if we consider the course of his life from the age of twenty-seven was not such as to continue the old friendships the rude sailors among whom his boyhood was passed the rough officers of the merchant service among whom he spent his early manhood those people could hardly have anything more in common with the most scientific officer in his majesty's navy james cook master occupied a rank very far above that of many of his former associates when one rises in the world it is necessary to abandon many old acquaintances those left behind are apt to complain but they forget the great gulf that success and promotion make between old acquaintances most of cook's old shipmates were still before the mast the rest were still navigating merchant vessels for the most part looking on a warm room in a whitby tavern with a pipe and a glass of punch as the only occupation worthy of a sensible man's time ashore with such as these what had cook to do nor indeed would he readily make friends in the navy except with those of his superior officers who discovered his worth and knew how to value his qualities he had few private friends if there had been many legends would have survived from some there would have been old men proud to tell how captain cook the great captain was an old friend how he would come and talk during the brief visits home what things he brought them from abroad a conch from tahiti a piece of coral from new caledonia a tomahawk from new zealand long after life is over for every great man there survive such memories for they have had their private friends but cook had no friends and no such memories are gathered round his name it is little more than a hundred years since cook was killed men are living still who might have talked with such old friends of cook why i myself who write this book have talked with a man who was a page to marie antoinette i myself but little beyond the tenth lustrum have talked with one who was a drummer-boy to henry la Jacquelin. i have talked with those who fought at copenhagen the nile and trafalgar and had captain cook left private and personal friends i might have talked with their sons and heard what things the great man had said because their memory would have been cherished in the family again some men are so self-reliant and some are so constantly absorbed in their work that they want none of the sympathies and the supports of friendship when cook speaks of friends he means patrons i cannot believe that there were officers of the same rank with himself with whom he could talk of the social life of which he knew so little nor can i believe that there were cronies with whom he would sit in his front garden in the mile end road a cool tankard between them and a pipe of tobacco in their hands to gossip away the afternoon and while the hours from dinner to supper and i cannot further believe that any old intimacies had there been any with the whitby shipmates were still maintained therefore i think that cook had very few private friends End of section five